Our first reading today is from Psalm. So those of you who have faith Bibles, it's right in the middle. And we're looking at Psalm 95. <coughs> Excuse me. Some who've come from more liturgical backgrounds will be very familiar with this psalm. But let's not over, allow over-familiarity to cause us to miss some of the gems. Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In his hand are the depths of the earth and the mountain peaks belong to him. The sea is his, for he made it and his hands form the dry land. Come, let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. Today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massah in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. For 40 years I was angry with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray. They have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And the second reading is in Matthew, beginning of the New Testament, and chapter 4. And this comes almost immediately after Jesus is baptised by John in the Jordan. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up to the holy city and had him sit on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendour. All this I will give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. 
Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. Nice. Morning, everyone. It's good to be here, to be able to open up God's Word uh, with you guys. Today, like Tim said, we're looking at the um, last line of the Lord's Prayer. Let us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, temptation, it's, it's something that we're faced with every day, isn't it? Uh, we look around us and there's, there's so many things that entice us, so many things which appeal to our selfish desires. Uh, in, in advertising and TV, temptations often are framed in this sexualized manner. Uh, se- and, and we know that sexual temptation is just everywhere. It's all around us. Uh, you don't have to go beyond your computer screen to have just this plethora of sexual viewing. Uh, pornography, it's readily available. There's even websites set up whose sole purpose is to encourage infidelity. A few years back, um, there was a show in the US called Temptation Island. Um, I never actually saw it myself, but the whole premise um, of this show was to send a whole bunch of couples uh, to this island along with some uh, single people of the opposite sex um, and, and to test their faithfulness to their current partners. I reckon pretty dodgy basis for a TV show, but it, it seemed to get off the ground for a bit. Uh, I'm not sure what these couples were thinking when they put their hands up to go on the show. Um, the show was, was set up to make you fail. Um, it was set up to make you give in to temptation. It wouldn't have made for very entertaining viewing if, if all the couples had remained stoic and, and, and done the right thing and remained faithful to their partners. Instead, here are these couples putting up their hands, thinking that they'd be able to actually resist uh, temptation. I mean, really, as, as if. Why would you put yourself in a position like that? Maybe they were just naive, uh, but maybe they secretly harboured uh, these desires to actually be unfaithful. Who knows? Pretty crazy stuff, um, but that's, yeah, that, was, that was Temptation Island. But the, the thing with temptation, it, it isn't just limited to the realm of sex. Um, it happens in so many other areas of life. Uh, we get tempted by stuff. Materialism uh, is rife and we just love to spend our time and our lives filling, uh, just filling our lives with more and more stuff. Uh, what about money and greed? Uh, there's a temptation to chase after those things, uh, ignoring and neglecting other things along the way. Alcohol tempts some of us. Food tempts others. It could even be something as simple as ice cream or chocolate. There's these ads for ice cream. And, and the whole premise around the kind of advertising is that it's this temptation that you should really resist, but you can't because it's so great. Today, we look at the last line of the Lord's Prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
What are we asking God when we say to him, lead us not into temptation? This is just simply that we're asking God that he'd give us the willpower to hold off from grabbing that last piece of chocolate? Maybe. But I want to say that there's actually a lot more to this concept of uh, temptation that the Bible picks up on. Uh, so let's ask God now to help us mine his word, to get, just to get a better understanding of, how, of temptation and how that fits in with our lives today. So let's pray. Uh, Lord, give us the wisdom and understanding uh, that we need as we come to your word now to consider what it has to say about the temptations that we face. Uh, Father, give us a humility to reject our own personal desires and biases and instead to honour you and live for your glory. Amen. All right, we're going to start off in the Old Testament there because there's a lot of background info there to this idea of temptation. Um, Psalm 95, which Denise read out earlier, it actually speaks about a time when Israel tested God. So verses 8 and 9, there it is on the screen of Psalm 95. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. So notice there how it says that Israel tested God. Um, It's actually the same word that's used of temptation uh, that we see in the Lord's Prayer. Uh, The word itself can have these kind of meanings of either tempting or testing. And you could see how how the two would be linked because they they form uh, pretty closely related ideas. But back to Psalm 95, which speaks about a time when Israel tested God. The time it's referring to uh, is when the people complained to God about having no um, water in the desert. So remember that God had just saved uh, the people of Israel in miraculous ways. He'd, he brought plague upon plague on the Egyptians to bring them to their knees so that Pharaoh might let God's people go. Uh, God's parted the Red Sea so his his, uh, people would escape from the pursuing Egyptian army. These were mighty and powerful acts by God. And once rescued from Egypt, the people camped in the desert and were told that there they tested God. Uh, How did they do that? Well, they became suspicious of God. They noticed that they're in a desert. And there's no water. They whinge to Moses. You can read all about that in Exodus chapter 17. They question whether God is actually powerful enough to provide water for them in the desert. They question God's motives. They doubt whether God is actually for them and, they, and whether he's even interested in them anymore. Remember that not long ago, long before this, Um, God had rescued his people in all those miraculous and wonderful ways. But a short time later, the Israelites doubted God. They tested him. Pretty sad, really. And and from then on, that place gets named Massa, which is simply the word for testing. So for generations to come, 
that place matter would be this constant reminder to the Israelites that they tested God, that they failed to trust God and his goodness towards them. Now, we're also told in the Old Testament that because Israel tested God in the desert, then God would likewise test the Israelites concerning their faithfulness towards him. So um, come over to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2, again on the screen. Remember how the Lord your God led you all the way in the wilderness these 40 years to humble and test you in order to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. So because Israel tested God, God would likewise test their faithfulness towards him. Uh, God wanted to see whether they would trust him or whether they'd abandon him. Israel was suspicious of God, so they test his faithfulness to them. And God is always faithful to his people, but he tests their faithfulness towards him uh, because more often than not, uh, they would fail in their endeavour to remain faithful. So what's going on here? So on the one hand, you've got Israel testing God, and on the other hand, you've got God testing Israel. It's not a great beginning to Israel's relationship with God. Now, there used to be uh, a show on TV. Um, I'm actually not sure why Sonia and I uh, watched it, but maybe it was the the sleepless nights with the newborns. Um, But somehow we managed to catch a couple of episodes. So the show itself was called Cheaters. There you go. Uh, You're probably thinking, why is a pastor watching a show called Cheaters? I don't know. Does it make it better that I watched it with my wife? Probably not. You can review me later. But anyway, there's this TV show called um, Cheaters. And, of course, you know, the show, it's from the States, Um, And everything's kind of drawn out in true American style. But what would happen is that kind of one party that become suspicious um, of their partner or spouse um, of being guilty of cheating on them. So then what they'd do, they'd enlist the help of this, the cheater's crew, uh, just to suss out the situation. So there'd be stakeouts, round-the-clock surveillance, Um, You name it, just to catch out this potential cheater. Now, sometimes there was a happy ending and and they'd all just realise that everything was a a big misunderstanding. But most of the time, there were tears, there were profanities, there was disaster. It was just plain ugly. Um, and, And in sort of a similar way, that's kind of the situation between God and his people. Israel tested God because they didn't trust him. Um, God, in turn, who, who of course had every right to do so, tested Israel for their unfaithfulness to him. Either way you look at it, it wasn't a very healthy situation between God and his people. Uh, and this testing between God and his people essentially c- continued for the rest of Israel's history. That is, of course, to become to the man Jesus, who looks temptation square in the face and defeats it. See, right at the start of Jesus' ministry, uh, we're we're told that he undergoes his his own 
kind of wilderness or desert experience. Um, we read about that in Matthew 4. It would be great if you had that open. Um, in Matthew 4, we're told that Jesus led into the wilderness by the Spirit of God, and there he's tested by Satan. So he, Satan has a, a red-hot crack at Jesus. Satan knows that Jesus is God's son, but he also knows that he's able to, if he's able to bring down Christ, or at least just partially distract him from a life of obedience to his father, then his job would be done. Um, Hebrews 4.15 tells us that Jesus was tempted or tested in every way, yet just as, as we are, yet was without sin. And I take it a, a big part of that testing happened right there in the desert. So how then does Satan tempt Jesus? Um, well, essentially his play against Jesus is to try to get Jesus to test God. Satan tries to do this by getting Jesus to doubt the path laid out to him by the Father, to doubt whether that's the right path for him. Um, but Jesus knows that, that suffering and ultimately death is his destiny. Uh, it's the Father's will that Jesus dies for the sins of the people. So in the desert, um, starting from kind of verse 3 of Matthew 4, um, we see Satan begin to test Jesus. Um, and there Satan offers some, some relief from, for Jesus' immediate needs. So you remember Jesus, um, up to this point, he'd been fasting 40 days and 40 nights. Um, he would have been hungry. Satan says, you know, turn these stones to bread. You're the son of God. You can do that. God doesn't know what he's talking about. Just, just worry about your own immediate needs. But Jesus passes the test. He, he trusts in God and in his word. Um, next, from verse 5, Satan tries to get Jesus to doubt God's ability to deliver him from destruction. Satan says, throw yourself down because God's going to send angels to, to lift you up. Or will he? Satan tries to seed, sow seeds of doubt in Jesus' mind about whether God really cares or, or is able to rescue and deliver him. Again, Jesus has nothing to do with it and refuses to put his father to the test. And again, from verse 8, lastly, Satan tries to tempt Jesus to take hold of the glory that's rightfully his without enduring the pain and suffering of the cross. It's all right, Jesus. That whole suffering, pain, that rejection thing, it's overrated. You, you don't need it. It's bad for your self-esteem. I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world if you would just bow down and worship me. And while the avoidance of suffering uh, might seem attractive. Jesus knows his Father's will. He trusts his Father's plan and timing. He knows that his glorification can only come through the cross. So in Matthew chapter 4, we see Jesus succeeding where Israel failed. See, when Israel would test God, 
Jesus would simply trust God. Uh, Jesus is the true and faithful Israelite. Each time Jesus is tempted by Satan, he, he rebukes Satan with the word of God, showing just how well he knows his father. At every point when Jesus is tempted, he leans on God's word and decides to trust in his heavenly father. So how then does all that um, kind of relate to our testing or our temptations today? Well, because of Jesus' faithfulness, because he endured the test, because he was tempted in every way and yet was without sin, we no longer face God in the way that Israel did. See, where, where God would continually uh, test Israel for her faithfulness towards him, for us who are in Christ, we have the one who was tested in every way but stood firm. Jesus always trusted. Jesus always obeyed. Jesus never doubted God's goodness. Jesus was the faithful Israelite. Jesus was the ever-obedient son. Jesus was tempted, but he came through with the goods. When we trust in Jesus and his work on the cross for us, the Bible tells us that there is no condemnation left for us. Jesus' faithfulness and obedience and steadfastness in the face of severe testing becomes the yardstick by which our relationship with God is established. So we no longer need to prove our allegiance and love for God in the way that Israel did because Jesus has already done that for us. So when we face temptations and testing today, we do so in a relationship with a loving Heavenly Father. That's what the first line of the Lord's Prayer reminds us, doesn't it? The Lord of the universe, the Creator God, is our Father. In our temptations, God isn't out to get us or trap us. Indeed, James chapter 1 tells us that God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does He tempt anyone. As our loving Heavenly Father, God is working for our good. He's not out to get us, but concerned that we become more like His Son each and every day. When we face temptations in this life, we ought to turn to our loving Heavenly Father in prayer because He wants to help us. He wants and is able to strengthen us so that we will endure. Um, even the very act of prayer is displaying our trust in God because it's turning to Him and relying on Him for our strength. And, and that's you read about Jesus in the Gospels and, and you know that so that's the sort of thing He did all the time. So, when we're feeling weak and powerless in the face of temptations and trials, we ought to pray... Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Because although we're weak and often um, desire selfish things, we have a Heavenly Father who loves us. Uh, we have a Heavenly Father who's poured out His Spirit on us who believe and empowered us to live for righteousness and not give in to temptation. 
See, when we're tempted to question God's plans and purposes for us, we ought to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, it could be your current life situation that's leading you to doubt God's goodness. You might be out of a job at the moment. What's God's plan for me being unemployed? Why is he holding out on a job for me? You might be unhappy about your current relationship status, either with your existing partner or because you, you don't have a partner but really want one. Seeds of doubt might spring up in your mind as you, as you question if God really is working all things for your good. When we're tempted to question God's goodness towards us, we ought to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. As I said earlier, we're, we're met with temptation everywhere. It's all over the place. Everywhere we go, there's money, there's riches, there's fame, there's sex, there's pleasures. Those things are good, aren't they? They're, they're readily available. Is God somehow holding out on me by not giving me all those things? Well, we have a good Heavenly Father who knows what we need and who is working for our good. When we need a reminder of the power of the gospel and the victory that Christ has won for us on the cross, we ought to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. See, Jesus' death on the cross is the great victory that he, that he has won and where he defeats Satan, sin and death for us. As Jesus dies and takes the place of the guilty ones, he wins for us forgiveness and brings us into God's wonderful family. We often in this world, it may not feel as though Jesus is the victor, but rest assured, he most definitely is. Colossians uh, chapters 2 sums it up pretty well. When you are dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. And finally, when we're tempted to direct our own path in life without the guidance and wisdom of God, we ought to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So remember how Jesus fought off Satan in the desert? He rebuked him with God's word. He knew God's will for his life because he trusted God and relied on his word to direct the course of his life. And we too can align ourselves with God's will by listening to him. By exploring his word, we're able to allow God's will to determine the direction and makeup of our lives. And why wouldn't we do that when we have a good Heavenly Father looking out for us, guiding us, leading us? Now, He doesn't leave us to our own devices, but guides and instructs us by His Word. He illuminates us by His Spirit, making us more and more like His Son each day. Let's pray.
Heavenly Father, we're, we're met with temptations um, all the time and we know that we're weak and often give in to these temptations. Uh, please strengthen us when these temptations and trials come our way. Uh, Lord, thank you so much for Jesus who was always faithful to you and who entrusted um, his life to you. Thanks that he endured temptation in every way, yet was without sin. Father, help us rest in the victory that he has won for us. Lord, thanks for the deliverance that comes as a result of Christ's death for us. Amen.